Well, thank you very much indeed for your invitation to take part in your service today uh, and for your uh, warm welcome. It's a, a pleasure for me uh, to be here and to join with you uh, today. Good to see some old familiar faces too, um, still going strong. I'd like to turn for our scripture reading to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 14. And I want to look this morning at one of the minor characters in the Old Testament, a man called Caleb. Um, There's not an awful lot said about him. He doesn't play a, a great big part, really, in the story of the people of Israel, but he does play a very significant part. And he does, I think, uh, give us some lessons which are well worth learning. So we're going to look at at Joshua. I'm going to read Joshua chapter 14 from verse 6 down to the end of the chapter. Uh, This is after the people of Israel have come into the promised land, and they have occupied um, most of it, the conquest and uh, division and distribution of the land is just about complete. But in verse 6 of chapter 14, we read, Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, Follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. I am today 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because He followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. So reads God's word. I have a 
<clears throat> a daughter um, who's married. She married an American fella, and she lives out in, a, in America in a small town called Pepperell in Massachusetts. Um, and she's three children now. So every year for about the past 15, 16 years, uh, we've gone every summer to visit her and uh, see the, the grandchildren as they've come along and, and, and so on. Um, but where she lives in this small town is just opposite the uh, town's graveyard. Um, and I've got used over the years when I've gone out to visit of walking around that graveyard and looking at all the graves. In fact, since I've retired, I think this has become my hobby and I've extended it to other places. So I like walking around graveyards. I know a bit strange, but there you are. You've got to find something to do with your time when you've retired. Uh, but I like, do like walking around and reading the inscriptions on the headstones. And um, in this place in Pepperell, there's nothing particularly uh, unusual about it. There's some of the old families that have been there since the town was started back in the 1700s. So you see these names like the Shattucks and the Bloods and so on. And many of their uh, families have been buried there over the years. Uh, there are quite a lot of folk from the military who are, who are buried there. And you would see written on their headstone, you know, served in Vietnam or Korea or Afghanistan or somewhere, and uh, all the uh, servicemen's graves, they have a little American flag on them. And then there'd be some really, but probably the most common inscription you would have would be so-and-so, a loving uh, wife, mother, grandmother, uh, which is a great inscription to have. If, in fact, we actually have the same inscription on my mother's grave. She's uh, buried down in, in Clandy Boy. But it, it made me think about how do you sum up a person's life? How do you sum up a person's life in just uh, a few words? Have you ever thought how or what you would like uh, as a kind of summing up of your life? Um, well, that's what led me to think about Caleb. And if we were to think of a, a way of summing up Caleb's life, we were thinking of a way of, of what we would put on Caleb's gravestone. I think it's pretty obvious. I wonder, did you pick it up as we read that passage there? There's a phrase uh, in those few verses that comes three times. Uh, if you look at uh, uh, verse 8, we read there, I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Or if you look at verse 9, it says, uh, Moses swore to me, the land in which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Or if you come down to verse 14, it says, I think this is Joshua, or it's summing up what Joshua had to say. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Three times in this passage. And indeed, if we went back into the book of Numbers, 
where we read of um, the actual uh, event of Caleb and Joshua going into the promised land at Moses' request and then coming back and report. We get exactly the same phrase three times in Numbers 14. Uh, The Lord himself says it, that Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So that made me think, what does that mean to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? You know, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to, like, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. He calls us to wholehearted discipleship. He doesn't call us to um, lukewarm or half-hearted or part-time discipleship. He calls us to be wholly committed, fully devoted, wholehearted followers of him. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a wholehearted follower of the Lord? I think from Caleb here, we can see at least three things. There are probably lots of other things we could say, uh, and a lot more might be involved in following the Lord wholeheartedly. But here, uh, there are at least, I think, three clear indications of what it means to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And the first one is, I think it means to be willing to be in a minority, even though it's costly, to be willing to be in a minority, even though it's costly. Now, Caleb, I'm sure you know the background. He was one of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land. People of Israel had been delivered from their slavery in Egypt. Moses had led them through the, the Red Sea into the, to Mount Sinai, and then they were going to move on to take possession of the promised land, the land that the Canaanites at that time occupied. But before they did that, Moses sent out spies to see what the situation was in the land. And I'm sure some of you, well, some of you about my age and above, probably remember the little chorus from Sunday school. Anybody like to sing it to us now? Twelve men went to spy in Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Anybody remember the chorus? Oh, dear. Ah, sadly lacking in your Sunday school education. Well, it's not sung very much today. You do, as I said, you do have to be of a fair age for it to be part of the Sunday school curriculum. But these were the spies. They're sent out to the land, and ten come back and say, we can't do it. The cities are fortified. There are giants there, these Anakites. We just can't do it. But Caleb came back along with Joshua, and Caleb, we read back in Numbers 13, Caleb said, and these are his words, we can certainly do it. We can do it. But the others said, we can't. They're giants, and it'll be impossible. So in chapter 14 here, verse 7, it says, 
I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But the brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people sink. So the spies come back, and 10 of them say, we can't do it. But Caleb said, no, we can certainly do it. He was in the minority, but he had his convictions that the Lord had promised to give his people this land, and Caleb believed that what the Lord promised he would do. And so he came back with the conviction, yes, there are problems, there are difficulties, there are obstacles, but he said, we can do it. But he was in the minority. And the others didn't like that. If you go back to Numbers and you read the account of what happened there, you actually read at one point, uh, the others who were there wanted to stone Caleb. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to silence him. They didn't like his dissenting voice. They didn't like being contradicted. They didn't like the fact that he was out of line with them. They said, we can't do it. He said, no, we can do it. That was his conviction. And they didn't like it, and they wanted to put him to death. But you see, he served the Lord wholeheartedly. And what that meant for Caleb, and what I think it means for us today, is that we have to be willing to be in a minority. We have to be willing to march to a different drummer. We have to be willing to step out of what the rest of people in our society think. I mean, we do live in an increasingly secular society. Uh, Belief in God, uh, fewer and fewer people seem to have any strong, clear conviction about belief in the God of the Bible. And if you stand up for what you believe in, If you say, oh, I believe that there is a creator who made this world, that it didn't all happen by chance. If you say that Jesus is the only way uh, uh, to be right with God. If you say that um, marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman. If you say these are your convictions, there will be those who will disagree And more than that, who will be maybe quite hostile and resentful and want to silence you and say, no, that's out of date. We've moved on since then. So to follow the Lord wholeheartedly today means to be willing to stand by your convictions about God and about Jesus, about salvation, about forgiveness. Uh, about heaven, about hell, about all these things, to be willing to stand for them, even if you're in a minority and other people don't like it. That's, I think, one of the lessons we can learn from Caleb here. To follow the Lord wholeheartedly means to be willing to be in a minority. And I think this is particularly relevant for younger people today. You know, at school, or at university, or when you go out into the world of work, or on the the sports team which you're part of, you may well find yourself in a minority. 
And you may well find that other people resent your convictions. And it will take courage to stand up for what you believe in. You know, there's an old hymn, Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. To be a wholehearted follower of Jesus means to be willing to be in a minority, to stand by your convictions, even if it makes you unpopular. That's the first lesson which I think we learn from Caleb. Secondly, I think to follow the Lord wholeheartedly means to continue to believe in God's promises through all the ups and downs of life. The Lord had promised to deliver Israel from slavery in Egypt, bring them into the promised land, and uh, when they'd been brought out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness and Moses uh, sends the spies into the land. Caleb comes back from that exploration and uh, he says, yes, he believes they can do it because the Lord has promised that he will give them the land. And so in obedience to his command and convinced of his promise, they should go in and take the land. If you look at verse 9 here in our passage, um, <clears throat> he recalls the, uh, the time when he, he and, and Joshua came back from exploration. And he said, so on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord, my, my God, wholeheartedly. And then in verse 10, he says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. See, Joshua says, or Caleb says, I remember the time we came back from our explorations and Joshua made our report uh, to Moses and Moses said, yes, you will receive this as your inheritance because the Lord has promised it to you. And so even, the others, even though the others persuaded the people not to go forward and occupy the land, Caleb held on to this promise. The Lord had promised that he and his family would inherit this portion of the land. The Lord had promised it. The Lord had said it, and he believed it. Verse 12, he says, Caleb says, Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. The Lord had promised it to him. The Lord had said it. He had this promise from the Lord, and he, will be he believed it. He continued to believe in the Lord's promise, Time has passed. For over 40 years have gone by, but he's still holding on to that promise. The Lord had promised that he would receive this land. 
And he's still waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. See, wholehearted commitment means continuing to believe in God's promises through all the changing scenes of life, through all the ups and downs, through all the disappointments and discouragements, through all the difficulties, continuing to hold on to the promises which God has made, not giving up, not turning back, not drifting away. Others may do that, but you continue to hold on to the promises of God. Faith is really believing in God's promises, that he is able to do what he has promised. I, I, th- I find that uh, definition you know, in Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 21, I think this is the clearest, most helpful definition which we have of faith in, in the Scriptures. Romans 4, verse 21, where we read about Abraham, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened by his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That's what faith is, being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he has promised. Are you fully persuaded that God is able to forgive your sins, all of your sins, totally and completely, forever, because of what Jesus has done on the cross in your place? Are you fully persuaded that He is able to do what He has promised? Do you continue to believe in that promise today, that you're forgiven, you're ransomed, you're saved, because Jesus died for you, and you believe God's promise that because of what Jesus has done, He will forgive you, and He will save you. Do you believe in these promises? We have many great and precious promises in the Scriptures. You know, we are promised forgiveness for our sins. We are promised the gift of eternal life. We are promised that no one will ever pluck us out of Jesus' hand. We are promised that He'll be with us forever. I was reading recently just my own reading through John, and in John chapter 6, you know the passage about uh, Jesus and the bread of life. And after Jesus has made that claim that He is the bread of life, He goes on to to talk um, and fill out Uh, what that means. And three times, this is what struck me as I read that passage, three times Jesus says to his disciples that I will raise, he's talking about those who believe in him, he says, I will raise you up on the last day. Three times, John 6 verse 40, it says, uh, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Or in verse 44, He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Or verse 54, 
I tell you the, the truth, unless you can eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Here's a promise. Here's a promise that Jesus has made to all who believe in him, that on the last day, that final day, that day of judgment, that those who believe in him, he will raise them up. He will give them a new body, a new life, to live with him forever in the new world that he will bring into being. There's a promise. Peter, in his letter, writes about us, those who believe, of having an inheritance that will never fade or perish or spoil, kept in heaven for us. There's the assurance. Caleb was given his assurance that he would have his inheritance in, in, the, in the promised land. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have this assurance of an inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. And on that last day, we will be raised up bodily to enjoy the fulfillment of that promise. Faith means believing in the promises that God gives to us and continuing to believe in them. Even though the years pass and maybe sometimes we don't see some of them as yet fulfilled, it's continuing to believe in them. Wholehearted commitment means to continue to believe in the promises of God. Others may not. Others, others may turn back. Others may drift away. Others may appear to give up their faith. Others may lose heart. Others may grow discouraged. But wholehearted commitment means continuing to believe in the promises which God has given to us through all the ups and downs of life. So wholehearted commitment, you see, means willing to be in a minority, to stand by your convictions even though others oppose you. Wholehearted commitment means continuing to believe in God's promises through all the changing circumstances of life, continuing to believe right to the end. And the third thing which we learn about wholehearted commitment is to keep on serving the Lord as he gives you the strength to do so. You notice in verse 10, he says, <clears throat> Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. So he's, he's now 85. When he'd come back from that expedition into the promised land with Joshua and they'd report it to Moses, he was 40. This is 45 years later 
The people of Israel have wandered about in the wilderness. The generation that refused to go up and enter the land, they've perished. Caleb is still there. He's still alive. He's still fit and strong. He's 85, but he says he's as vigorous as he was 40 years ago. Now, not many of us can say that. You know, the normal pattern is that as we get older, our strength does decline mentally and physically. As we get older, if we make it to 70 and we're still in reasonably good health and our mind is still functioning, we're doing well. But here's Caleb, he's 85. And he says, I want to keep on serving the Lord. He says to Joshua, give me this hill country. Now, I think the NIV lets us down a bit there with that translation. The old King James Version is much better. It says, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. That's what he wants. It's not something easy. It's something difficult. Uh, I don't know if any of you, you know, have read Dr. Helen Rosevear's biography. Um, if you've heard of her, she, she, her biography, she entitled it, Give Me This Mountain. You may know something of her life story. She was a medical missionary in the Congo back in the 60s, and she experienced terrible, brutal treatment at the hands of, of some of the rebels there. But she entitled her bi- biography, Give Me This Mountain, taking it from this verse here. She wanted to go back. After all that she'd suffered, she did go back. She wanted to keep going. She wanted to face the difficulties and the obstacles and the problems, and she wanted to keep on serving the Lord. In fact, she was a very remarkable woman, and uh, after she'd retired from her missionary work, she did come back to live in Northern Ireland here. She lived over in East Belfast. And then well into her 80s, she was leading a girls' Bible class every Sunday because she wanted to keep on serving the Lord as the Lord gave her the strength to do. Now, the thing is, it's the Lord who gives the strength. As I say, the normal pattern is that as we get older and our strength declines physically and, and mentally, well then, the Lord doesn't expect us to keep on doing what we just can't do. Uh, I love the little incident in, uh, in the Gospels, you know, where it's recorded, I think, in, in Mark 14, where uh, the woman, this woman comes and anoints Jesus with ointment. And there, some of the disciples were unhappy with, about this. And they said to Jesus, you know, rebuke her for doing this. And Jesus' reply was, you know, leave her alone. She did what she could. She did what she could. And that's really all the Lord expects of any of us, just to do what we can. And if we reach a stage in life when we can't, don't have the physical or mental energy anymore, that's okay. You just do what you can. But here in this case, here's Caleb, and he's an exception. He's 85, and still, thankfully today, there can be exceptions like that. So maybe you're in your 80s now, and you're still serving the Lord as vigorously as you did when you were in your 40s. Well, praise God for that. But the point that I'm trying to make is that 
Our wholehearted commitment means to continue to serve the Lord as he gives us the strength to do so. If that means that we can keep going well past normal retirement age, then thank God for that. If it means because of illness or uh, other weakness or other problems and we have to step back, we have to retire, well, that's okay. You do what you can with the strength God gives you. But wholehearted commitment means, you see, willing to keep on serving the Lord as he gives you the strength to do so. So here are three things, I think, which we learn from Caleb. He served the Lord wholeheartedly. And Jesus calls us to be wholehearted disciples. If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He didn't call us, doesn't call us to be half-hearted or lukewarm. He calls us to be wholehearted, wholly committed followers of him. And that means being willing to be in a minority, even though it's costly. To stand by your convictions, even when those around you disagree. It means continuing to believe in his promises, the promises of his word, promises that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, the promises of eternal life, the promises of a great inheritance in the future, continuing to believe in his promises and being willing to keep on serving him as he gives us the strength to do so. So are you a wholehearted, fully devoted follower of Jesus? Can it be said of us as it was said of Caleb? He followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Caleb. We thank you that he followed you wholeheartedly. And we pray that you might help us to similarly follow you in that way. Whatever our situation in life, whatever our circumstances, wherever you've placed us, however you've blessed us, we pray that we might know that you're always with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And you'll give us the strength to wholeheartedly follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will sing together the song, He Will Hold Me Fast.